If you're tired of the superficial and you're craving real conversation about life, relationships, fears, doubts, and the divine in the middle of it, this is the place for you. My name is Anna Dimmel, and I'm a blogger, writer, and former pastor. And it's my passion to build bridges, not walls, through honest, real conversation and connection. And I want that for you. This is the show that will help you do that and give you not only inspiration and connection, but will help you leave the superficial for good and form the real connections you're craving. Your story matters, and I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. Hello and welcome to the Behind the Mirror podcast. I am so happy to be here with you today. Today I'm sharing a tender episode, if you will, an episode that's about the season. And I know that the Christmas season, the holiday season, it can bring a lot of emotion. I know it certainly does for me. And today's episode speaks to that. And I I hope that if you are feeling discouraged at all, if you're feeling lonely at all this season, if you're feeling like depressed and like my life is not what I wish it was right now, I so get that. And I'm in that same space too. And this season not only has taught me so much about myself, but I'm also looking at the whole Jesus story a little bit differently. And so that's what I'm going to share with you this week. And I hope it brings you as much hope and encouragement as it has for me. I want to tell you again that you are a gift to me, every single one of you. And sometimes I feel like I don't say that enough, but you are certainly a gift to me. And I enjoy this work. I enjoy connecting with you. And I enjoy hearing the journeys and stories that you guys are all on. I wish I could take every single one of you to coffee and like talk about all the things, all the days, all the hours. But you know, we have this beautiful thing called the internet. And when you guys reach out to me and we chat and we message or we email, it just, it makes me feel connected to you in so many ways. And so I just want you to know it's an honor to share that space with you. And for those of you Patreons out there, thank you so much for the gift that you've given me and given this work and given my family with your support. It's meant the world and it's been a game changer for me in being able to stay on and doing this. So thank you to all of you sincerely for your support of this work. If you are not a Patreon and you're interested, you can go to my website, justajesusfollower.com and click on the button Patreon. Without any further ado, I love you guys and let's dig into this episode. Here we go. Hello and welcome back to the Behind the Mirror podcast. This is our is this our first episode in December? I think it is. And I know that this is the beginning of the Christmas season and so all of us are bombarded with all of the Christmas stuff whether it be Christmas events, Christmas parties, Christmas concerts, Christmas church events, Christmas plays, it like goes on and on and on. And I I love Christmas, but I get a lot of mixed feelings when it comes to this time of the year. And I've talked about that before, and I'm going to dive into it a little bit today. 
You know, as beautiful as the Christmas story is, there's so much wrapped up in this holiday that can make it very difficult to be thankful. It can make it very difficult to feel a part of any story bigger than yourself. For me, the holidays tend to bring up voids and empty spaces that I tend to ignore the rest of the year. And maybe it's because when you grow up in America, you see all the Hallmark commercials growing up of the perfect family with the perfect presents and the perfect tree and everything just seems so scripted and movie-like and magical this time of year. And when your life has taken different roads and different turns and you have had a hard year, ending the year in a season that's supposed to be so glorious and magical it just can feel depressing and empty. And I imagine some of you may be feeling some of that stuff bubbling up in you already this time of year. It it is for me. And I, I keep thinking about the story of Mary. And, you know, at first I was like, oh, it's just because it's Christmas time. But, but I think it's deeper than that. I think there was something I needed to, to unearth in that story. And so I'm going to share a little bit about what has been speaking to me through this story and how it is giving me some comfort through this time of the year. We've talked a lot the past couple episodes about a wilderness journey. And as I've shared before, That's the best way I know how to describe a time in your life when you feel like you have lost your family or you've lost your community or you've lost friends or you are going through a big career shift, something that is sent you into what feels like nomad's land where you are wandering and searching and trying to find your footing again and you can feel disoriented and you can feel displaced and everything can feel shifty and shaky and you're just like, where do I belong? Where can I ground myself again? Because I used to feel grounded and now I don't. And I think the deconstruction journey in our faith feels so much like a wilderness and So much of this past year, past two years, truthfully, have been that type of a journey for me. And so I get real mixed up when I land on Christmas because Christmas is supposed to feel so whole. And if you have been on a journey that doesn't feel whole and that feels like you have empty spots, it can feel disorienting again. And you can feel like this outsider of your own life watching in going, what did I miss? Why is this not fitting. And so the story of Mary, I I suppose maybe we take for granted that Mary is just this like almost other than human who is tasked with this divine calling to bear the son of God. And we, you know, we look at her in this, in this lens of other than, because it just seems so grandiose and special, maybe is the right word. And, and I know people try very hard to wrap their minds around, well, she was just a poor, you know, little Jewish girl. And, but it never really waits with me. Like the weightedness of that has never fully come to grasp for me. It has still kind of felt like this almost, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Almost like a folklore, maybe like she's like not this real person because it just seems too, too miraculous for me. I don't know. And so I was thinking about it this week and 
the thing that clicked for me that I want to talk about with you guys today is how much of a wilderness journey she found herself on and how much her willingness to press into that or pull away from that shifted so much of the trajectory of the world from that point forward. And and I know some of you are in a, a questioning season of faith where you're like, well, I don't even know if if the virgin birth was real. And I don't even know if, I mean, how do we know Jesus was really, you know, not just a human? And and those are all great questions and great things to dig into theologically and however historically you want to dig into. I don't want to get into that. I what fascinates me is the story of this Jewish girl that has this baby and this baby changes the world. And what sticks out to me the most lately is the fact that in their time, she would have been very young, like super young. When they had their first um, menstrual cycle, that was when they were considered to be ready to be married. And so they would begin having the whole betrothal conversation about who should we marry this daughter of ours off to because she's now officially ready to be married. So we're talking like 11, 12 years old when these conversations were happening. And as a woman in that society, as many other societies worked, women didn't have much of a say. We didn't have much of a voice. And so Who she would marry was out of her hands. What the rest of her life would look like was out of her hands. But what was in front of her was a tight-knit family because that was customary. And so she would have probably lived in a home that had extended family and relatives all in it. And everybody would have been in each other's business. And everybody was probably talking about Mary being of age. And this would have been an exciting time. But also, I would imagine to be a bit frightening because you're just kind of like left in the dark to see what your future might look like. And so, as we know, the story goes, she gets betrothed to Joseph, who seemed like a fine match, and everything seems set. Her life, from that point on, she probably had it mapped out as to what she could expect as a young Jewish girl, what her life would look like from that point forward. It was pretty, pretty spelled out. Never in a million years. Did she imagine the next step of what happened? Never in a million years did she imagine herself to be unmarried and pregnant as a young girl in a very tightly knit Jewish community. People like that were talked about. People like that were pushed on the outside. In communities like that, it's said that Nazareth probably had about 400 people living at it at the time. So And it was in pretty tight proximity, so news would travel fast. It's not like there were all that many secrets. So she didn't see that coming. And I I resonate with that part of her journey because I think for so many of us, we really think we have our life mapped out. We really think that, well, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and it's going to equal this, right? I talked about that in the um, one of the previous episodes about my deconstruction journey and how I felt like it was spelled out to me one plus one would equal two. And so I followed one plus one and I never got two. I kept getting zero over and over and over again, right? And how confusing that was for me. And so you look at Mary, she had a very clear one plus one equals two scenario here, like way less complicated than our society. There were not options for her. It was not, the question wasn't, where are you going to go to college? What are you going to major in? 
which guy do you want to go on a date with tonight? That was not Mary's world. There were not options for her. It was, this is your path. End of story. And so even to allow her mind to consider different options probably wasn't even anywhere in in the context of what she would have been thinking about. And so here she finds herself thinking her whole life is spelled out, thinking everything is going to fall into place exactly as she believes it will. And as much as people tend to resent spelled out plans, we all like spelled out plans. We like the comfort of them. We like the stability and the predictability and the control that we have when we know our plan. I doubt that she was any different. It's a human thing. And so here her perfect plan is. And then all of a sudden, boom, we're going to send a huge curveball. A curveball that could get you completely excommunicated from your community. A curveball that could mean Joseph will totally leave you. A curveball that could ruin your whole life. And here you are just merely a child yourself. So the weight of that news of you are going to have a baby. And she has this big encounter with this angel. And I... You know, it's hard to imagine something like that because, again, this is where it seems otherworldly for me. And yet, can we all relate to a moment in our lives where it felt like we got hit with a meteor, where it felt like, oh my gosh, everything now changes. In one second, my life completely changed, never to be the same again. Who I was five minutes ago, I will never be again after what just happened to me. I mean, how many of us can relate to that? And and as much as we want to dress up this encounter with this angel, it says in the text that she was terrified. And I don't think it's because she was necessarily terrified of this angel. I think she's terrified because her whole life within two seconds completely changed. And how unfair. How completely, completely unfair. And if I were Mary in that scenario and being raised in a Jewish culture, in a Jewish home, having knowledge of God, I would have had a a huge fist shaking moment, screaming to God, like, what the hell is this? I didn't sign up for this. Where's my choice in this? How could this just happen to me? How could you let this happen to me? And yet there's this voice that all of us probably are familiar with that Mary had too, that was most likely whispering into her soul. This will one day all make sense. This will one day feel right. Right now it feels scary, but this will one day all be right. Mary had a choice in that moment to, to press into that fear Or to press into that little voice that told her, this is going to be different, but this is going to be good. This is not the plan that you wanted. This is not the plan that you chose. But this is going to be a good plan. And it's time to let go of control. And I mean, for any of us, but speaking specifically for me, those moments in my life have been utterly terrifying. Terrifying. 
I don't want people in my business, especially anything shameful. I don't want to be the subject of gossip. I don't want my life to go down a road that is opening me up to ridicule and judgment. Do any of us want that? Nobody wants that. And yet that's what this poor girl was being asked of right there. I mentioned earlier that in this time frame of when she would have been living, she would have lived in tight quarters with her family, which meant they would have noticed that her period stopped. Like there would not have been much opportunity for her to hide what was happening on in her body. You know, nowadays we can hide pregnancies, but back then when you are sleeping and eating and living and working with your family that tightly and in a community where people are living practically wall to wall to each other, that's going to be noticed really fast. And I imagine she felt the pressure of that boiling up really quickly. We know that in the story, it says she goes to stay with Elizabeth. And there are some theories about that. People um, have written stories about how, much like in our society, if there's a shameful event in a family, how you can ship off that family member out of town to somebody else and let them wait, you know, wait out the storm there. There's some theories out there that that may have been why Mary was sent to stay with Elizabeth because she it would have gotten her out of the gossip mill that may have been happening around her in Nazareth. So who knows? Maybe that is what happened. It does make sense. I can align myself with, yeah, I, I can see how a family would have done that. Send her away till she has a baby, whatever. But but during that time frame, she has to be wondering, what is Joseph going to do? What is the rest of my life going to look like? And What will happen? What will become of me? And of course, we know the end of the story that Joseph has a turn of heart. You know, originally he was ready to divorce her and send her on her way, but something in him shifts. And he says he has this dream and God speaks to him through an angel and he decides to cover Mary, if you will, and claim the child as his own, which is probably one of my favorite parts of this whole story because how rare is that, right? How rare is it for somebody to pull a Joseph? I know that most of us, our greatest fears are being exposed and pushed out of places that feel safe and places that feel familiar and people who are once close to us no longer being close to us and us being the subject of people's judgment, right? Like it goes against our instincts. Our survivalistic instincts tell us to be in community. We're made that way. So naturally our fear of being alone and isolated is a genuine thing. And that's what Mary was about to face. In that moment, everybody wants a Joseph. (laughs) Everybody wants that that voice that says, I'll claim you. I'll cover this. I'll protect you. I'll hide you from shame. I'll hide you from gossip. I'll hide you. I'll claim you. We all want that. And I think the beauty of this is in her wilderness journey, she found a helper. And, and I've, it's something that God and I have talked about often through this is that 
when you are in a wilderness, when your life gets shaken up and turned completely upside down and all the stuff is shaken out of you and you're disoriented and you don't know what's going to happen from one minute to the next. And then before you know it, you're feeling like an outsider and you're feeling alone and lost. Helpers always come. Helpers always show up. And it might just be one. In Mary's case, all she needed was one, but she got one. She got someone to back her. And in her most vulnerable, scary time, it was when she needed someone the most. And I love, I love that it was Joseph. I love that. And I've I'm starting to see this story in a different light because I'm seeing this not just as the story of the birth of Jesus, but the story of a girl who was completely blindsided, who was pretty much about to be left alone, who was probably hiding from shame and ridicule. And then a Joseph shows up and protects her through it. I want to be a helper like that for other people. Like it's inspirational for me to see that Joseph's part of the story. And also it's comforting to me to be reminded that when you're on a wilderness journey, a helper will always show up. They always will. And as we all know, throughout this story, Mary, this little teeny tiny thing from this teeny tiny little place has this baby in this miraculous way. And this baby goes on to change the world. And you can look at this in so many different ways. I mean, we could take this story and just look at it, quote unquote, literally and tell the story that way. Or we can look at it a bit figuratively. And what I mean by that is when your life is facing challenges, like I know so many of you are, and you don't know which way is up or down, and you feel lost in a wilderness, not only will helpers come to you, but you will give birth to something miraculous on the other side. And I don't know what that will be for you. I don't know what it will be for me, but I hold on to that picture of this pain that I'm going through, this pain that you're going through, this pain that the holidays bring up, let it be a reminder of new birth. Let it be a reminder of the most amazing force in the universe, the divine God himself taking the most uneducated, unvoiced in society, minority, and changing the world through this one teeny tiny little girl from a teeny tiny town in nowhere land. That story, that story is the story. That story, I want to be my story. I want to be your story. That the most unsuspecting person is the one that completely births something that changes the world. It's interesting to me that the... um genealogy of Jesus speaks of women instead of men. I don't know if you've caught that, Um, which again, reminding you, women are, especially in biblical terms and still in many of today's terms, women would be not the top dog, right? They're like way down on the totem pole. But in the genealogy of Jesus, it lists women. 
And the interesting thing about it is that it lists four women. And they're not the ones you would think of when you think about if you're going to brag about your genealogy, especially in the Bible, where it's like King so-and-so had King so-and-so had this son, had the son of so-and-so, the son of, you know, on and on and on it goes. And here we come with Jesus's birth, and it starts with this genealogy that includes four women, which is so rare and odd. And what's amazing about it is that each of these women have such a past. They have such a story. They have such a scandalous background. And this is like, this is who Jesus chooses to align his genealogy with, coming from an unwed single mother, essentially, who Joseph takes under his wing. Like, you could not be screaming more the message of the most marginalized, the most forgotten, the most unanticipated are the ones that can really change the world. And so I want to like breeze over this genealogy because it just makes me laugh. And it also just makes me grin and go, how have we missed what this Jesus story was actually about? How have we missed this? Okay. So the first one in the line is Tamar. And I'm not sure if you are familiar with her story. It's not talked about all that often, but she, in, of course, in their time, the status of Jewish women that was measured by their children. So if you don't have a child, it's frowned upon. You're not as honored in society. And she was not having a child for many different reasons. Um, she was refused her legal right to bear a child. So what does she do? What does Tamar do? She dresses as a temple prostitute. And she has sex with her father-in-law, Judah, and she conceives a child. And she was sentenced by Judah after they became aware of her pregnancy to burn her to death. But then she's able to prove that Judah was actually the father and the death sentence was revoked. And she goes on to bear two twin, two twin sons and lives her life with honor as a mother of two boys. And you're like, what? Who is this person who like wouldn't take the injustice of her society that was saying she couldn't have a son or couldn't have a child? She like takes matters into her own hands and makes this guy sleep with her and who posing as a prostitute, I might add, and then goes on to have her right as a mother. I mean, the whole like going through the back door thing to get what she felt she deserved is just crazy. And the fact that she's like honored in scripture as to be boasted about coming in the line of Jesus. It's just fascinating to me. And so then the next one is Rahab. And this one you might be more familiar with. She was a prostitute. Again, here we go. The prostitute theme, a prostitute in Jericho. And when Joseph was, of course, going to capture Jericho, Rahab was the one that snuck him in and uh, made sure that they got through. And when everything was said and done, she was honored and she was saved, right? And so again, this nobody, this prostitute, which again, the lowest of the lowest of these societies is being mentioned in this genealogy. Like this is the one you want to be proud of that prostitute that helped Joshua. Really? That's the one you want to highlight? Yes, apparently so. Okay. The next one is Ruth. And of course, Ruth and Boaz, we love the love story of that. But there's there's a bit of of interest in the Ruth story because she again this was not a woman who had things handed to her this was a woman who had things taken from her remember her husband died her mother-in-law 
lost her sons and she and her mother-in-law are trying to survive. And they survived by taking the leftovers out of Boaz's field. And he allowed that, but it doesn't look like he had much interest in Ruth past that. And so Ruth pursues Boaz. Again, this was not common for women to be pursuing men like this. She pursues him and he ends up marrying her and she's in his family and the rest is a beautiful story. But again, this is a woman who had to fight and claw to survive. Things were not fairy tale for Ruth. We love the highlighted story of Ruth and Boaz and it's a love story, but it's like, do you forget the grit that this woman had? The pain and agony of war that she went through, the amount of loss and grief that she was carrying, and how she she had to pursue a man after all of that. She had to go pursue him. It's not like he was knocking on Ruth's door. She had to go pursue him. And then the fourth one listed in Jesus's um, genealogy is Bathsheba. And we all know the story of Bathsheba. And here she is, who essentially cheats on her husband with David and becomes pregnant and goes on to have children with him. And of course, we know she's the mother of King Solomon who goes on to benefit all of that country with his leadership. And so it's like these four women, an adulteress, a prostitute, a chick who slept with her father-in-law, and Ruth, who's a widow and and really has to fight to get married. I mean, the, the whole thing. And then didn't Jesus comes through this teenage girl who's not married? It's just like, okay, you got the single mom. You got the prostitute. You've got the adulteress. You've got the widow. You have the lowest of society, like the lowest of society. And yet Jesus chooses to align with this group of people. Jesus chooses to align with the lowest of society, the outcast, the marginalized, the forgotten, the abandoned. That's who he jumps on board with. And I I look at this and I say, where is this in our Christmas story? Where is this when I hear the Christmas sermons on Sunday morning? Because this is what we're celebrating. This birth of this baby through this single mother, essentially, coming from a line of the forgotten, the abandoned. He came to rise up to fight for those very people. I mean, look at his ministry. He's ministering to prostitutes. He's sitting with the people on the outside. Like, can this not be any more clear? His genealogy speaks to this. His life speaks to this. His death speaks to this. He was killed because this is what he stood for. And I see this as like a whisper, an invitation to all of us in our own wilderness journeys, to all of us feeling on the outside, to all of us feeling misunderstood, to all of us feeling alone and lonely at the holidays, this is the invitation to remember the beauty of the outsiders, to remember the power of the voices that have been forgotten, the power of the voices who have to kick and claw and fight their way out of hell holes. There is such power there. And there's also such grace there. In fact, I think that that's what the angel said to Mary when he first saw her. Grace be with you or something to do with grace, you filled with grace or something like that. I don't have the passage in front of me, but there is a special grace over people in this space. There's not only power, 
and grit that rises from the grave, but there's grace in resurrection. There's grace in new birth. There's grace in labor pains. There's grace in grief. There is grace in heartache. There is grace in rising again. That, to me, is what the Christmas story is about. That, to me, is what screams at me in every manger scene I see when I'm driving down the highway in front of a church. And I see this manger and this dilapidated stack of hay with a baby plopped on top of it. There's a reason he wasn't in a bed. There's a reason he was on hay, which is like food for animals. There's a reason. All of this threads together to a beautiful picture. One that says hope not to those in power, but hope for the powerless. One that breathes life and courage, not to the strong, but to those fighting to hang on. One that screams You are going to be okay. You can do hard things. You are going to rise out of this. That's what I see in this story. And that's the hope I'm choosing to hold on to through this season that can be conflicting and filled with all kinds of emotion. I'm holding on to the fact that this season is not a reminder of those in power or a reminder of those who have their life together and everything wholesome and perfect. This season is a reminder of those who don't have it together, whose lives are in shreds and bits and pieces and fragmented all over the place, that those people are the ones that change the world. Those people are the ones that rise again. Those people are the ones with the real power. Those people are the ones filled with infinite grace. That's what this season is about. So whatever journey you find yourself in right now, where things feel blown to bits, where things feel confusing and disorienting and lost and frustrating, take a breather and just soak in the real reality of this baby that was born so many years ago to such a scared teenage girl. Remember that story because that story is powerful and that story, it breathes life and it breathes hope. And I hope that that's what I was able to breathe into you today. Grace and peace. Hey there, I hope you enjoyed the conversation today. You can find my blog and links to my Instagram and Facebook account on my website at justajesusfollower.com. I hope you join us next week for another raw, honest conversation. In the meantime, go in peace and know that you are enough.